chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6 will be our passage. It's, a, it's right in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever spoken in this world by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 6 will be our text today. Uh, the title of the message, I always appreciate coming here. Pat asked me to give a title. I'm not usually prone to titles, but they're good. The title is The Motivation of Jesus Christ. So uh, that will be our title. We'll be looking at our passage. Let's stand together and read our passage together. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I love just to stand. I appreciate you standing for the reverence to God's word. He's worthy for uh, us to stand, just to hear the words of Jesus. Of course, Jesus is speaking here in verse 1. He says to us, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation But deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus continues to say, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to to men to be fasting. But to your Father who sees in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for... Your words here, we thank you for the words of Jesus that we can look at, that we can hold in our hands, and that by your Holy Spirit can bring understanding, correction, encouragement to us. Even this day, in this place, right now, we believe, Lord, that you're speaking to us by the words of our Savior recorded in this sermon. And so we open our hearts, we open our ears and our eyes, and all that you want to do and communicate to us, we receive, because you're worthy of our attention And you're certainly worthy of our glory and our honor. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We live and operate our lives based on what motivates us. Let me give you some examples. 
What motivated you to eat this morning? If you did, in fact, eat this morning. What, what motivated you? Something going on in the stomach, some rumblings. Yeah, hunger motivates you to eat. What motivated you to get that cup of coffee? Well, if you're a heavy coffee drinker like some of us, there's that fog that happens in your head that you just want to, you want to clear. There's a motivation like, okay, I want to be, I want clarity. Well, how about this? What, what motivated you to come to worship today? Hopefully something in your heart, something in your soul, something in your spirit longed, for, hi Paul, longed for, uh, just, I, sorry, <laughs> longed for something in, just to be in worship today. You, you, just, you just wanted to be here. You wanted to be amongst God's people. You wanted to hear his word. You wanted to worship him because he's worthy. In our study of the life and uh, the ministry, if you look at this, this uh, in, in a chronological order, you can look at the person, the life, and the ministry of Jesus, and, and you'll see this sermon. It's, again, the greatest sermon. But the Lord, he defines all through it that we are, in Jesus Christ, we are positionally righteous. We're positionally righteous in Christ. That if you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer. You have eternal life and you have forgiveness through Him. That when the the eyes of God the Father look upon you, He sees you righteous because of His Son. Jesus also teaches us in this sermon that there's a practical righteousness to our lives as well. That we're going to live a certain way. That we're going to think a certain way. That we're going to speak a certain way because of who we are in Christ. Positionally righteous, but there's a practical righteousness lived out in the things we do and say. Jesus taught that the source of that, the source of his spirit, it springs up into his follower, his follower and, and it's manifest in their life. That in the heart is the truth of who we are. He used the example of, of how if you, if you lust in your heart, it's, an adul- it's adultery. If you have anger in your heart, it's murder. He used that in a negative sense, but the, the heart issue is really what matters here. Because the reality in this world is, like the Pharisees and the scribes and what, who Jesus calls the hypocrites, the reality is this world is that we want acceptance from others. We have this uh, innate sense, in our, I believe, in our natural man to want acceptance from others. And uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the hypocrites, as Jesus, Jesus classifies them in this text, they were acting like something that they were not. Jesus said that sort of righteousness, by the way, would never gain one person entrance into his kingdom. That's not the sort of righteousness he wants for you and I. He calls them hypocrites. They looked religious. They looked righteous. But Jesus said their heart was neither. They, they were really just very good actors. They could really put on a show. They were supposed to be the example of how to lead and guide a person to God. But they were doing all this other stuff that just confused the people. It put a burden upon the people that they just, your heart goes out to them. Because the same can happen today. You can put a burden on a person to say, okay, you've got to be this, that, and the other. You've got to look like this. You've got to dress like that. You've got to come in here and be like this. Or else you're not truly righteous. You're not truly spiritual. Well, that's just hypocrisy, and Jesus condemns that here. He, he condemns it in three significant areas in our life. Remember, practically lived out in our life, in, in doing good deeds, in giving, in prayer, and in fasting. Because true worship of God, it had become so distorted and polluted by the poor examples of the, what I call the religious specialists of the day. Jesus, he took great care now in this 
portion of this sermon to teach us, his disciples, what true worship really looks like. Because we must understand true worship, it begins in the heart. You can't just fake it. Well, you can. But God knows. The Father knows. And he's saying that it shouldn't be something that is faked. If the heart is bad, the worship is bad as well. If the heart is good, so too is the worship. Notice in verse 1, he, Jesus, he, he begins this portion of his sermon with a warning. It's always good to note that Jesus, when he starts to talk about something, he, he puts a warning. He says what? Take heed. Now, the tense of that warning, it's, it's in the sense of always be taking heed. Always be watching out. Always be careful in these areas that he's going to address here. So make sure we keep that in mind. He, Jesus is warning us, take heed, to, be careful in this. He's, he's saying, in other words, it's extremely important to take great care and caution regarding the actions he's about to identify. Why? Because he doesn't want his disciples, he doesn't want you and I who love him to look like the common hypocrites of the day. He doesn't want us to be, look like that. He doesn't want us to be like that. That's not the message he wants to convey to this world. His message is grace and truth and honesty and something that's real, not something you put on when certain people are looking just to look good in their eyes. And that's their motive throughout, isn't it? So that they may be seen by men. How many times do we see that? So that they may be seen by men doing these things. Take heed, then, that when you and I worship, that we don't worship like the hypocrites have done it here. That, that, that we don't do our giving like the hypocrites had done. That we don't do our praying like the hypocrites had done. That we don't do our fasting like the hypocrites had done. The hypocrites do these things to be seen and recognized and honored and glorified by their fellow man. They act as if, again, they act as if their actions are going toward God, but they're not really. Their true motive as we talked about motivation. Their motivation is so that they get all the attention, so that they get all the glory. Now, in this, the religious specialists, they're being much like every other man and women in the earth then and today. Again, as I mentioned, natural man generally seeks favor and an audience from those around him. We want approval of everyone. Let me give you an example, just to show you that this is absolutely true. What happens today... It is going to happen today. I can almost guarantee it. When some athlete scores a touchdown, what are they going to do in the end zone? They're going to do their... I'm not even going to try a dance. I just embarrassed myself and you. Thank you. Yeah, I can clap. Yeah, they're going to do a dance. What's that dance all about? Look at me. Look at what I just... What happens when a huge defensive end sacks a quarterback? What's he going to do? Look at me. He's going to have some kind of motion. He's going to... What, again, I won't, I won't embarrass myself with that, but you, you, you get the idea. It's just natural in natural men to, to, when something is done, say, look at how great I am. Look what I've done. Wow, aren't I clever? Aren't I wonderful? I just, every time I see that, I want to say, hey, dude, you're getting like paid $600,000 a game to do that. Just go sit down on the bench. You did a good thing. But that's just me. I don't know. That's my thoughts. But there's, that's the natural thing that you, you see in man to perform, to, to, re- to want to receive that praise and recognition. And it, it's that recognition which I think was fueling the fire of hypocrisy for the religious specialists of the day. They wanted it. It didn't belong to them. Who does the glory and the honor and the praise belong to solely? You know the answer to that. God alone. God the Father. 
It belongs to him alone. He will not share his glory, the Bible tells us. There's no doubt that giving and praying and fasting, they are good things. The hypocrites had taken them and made them bad things in the eyes of many men. But they are good things. Jesus was a man on earth who gave. He was a man on earth who prayed. He was a man on earth who fasted. And then he calls us as his disciples to emulate that, to do that same thing. But giving, it's not purchasing. Praying is not performing, and fasting is not postulating. And we're going to look at those three things in the next few minutes. The issue that the Lord is addressing for his disciples is whose audience do they seek in their giving and praying and fasting? What's the motivation? Whose attention do they want in desiring and doing these things and desiring to do good in these? If we receive the glory for our giving, our praying, our self-sacrifice from our fellow man alone, like the, the, the hypocrites, the, the, the religious specialists did here, that's the extent of your reward. That's all you're going to get. That's it. You may as well enjoy it because there's nothing else than that. Oh, what a spiritual man he is. Okay, just soak it all up because there's nothing after that. And that's emptiness. There's, there's so much more that we receive, as we're going to see. The rewards that Jesus talked about from our Father in giving. The reward for praying in secret. The, war, the reward from fa- for fra- fasting that the Father gives us openly. We're going to look at those as well. The question is, whose audience, whose attention do I seek when I determine to do these things? The fact is, it's very possible that in your heart that is true and right, and in your giving, and in your doing, particularly charitable, doing charitable deeds, it's, it's hard to hide that, isn't it? The fact is, someone's probably going to see it. But that's okay. The Lord knows that. We can't do everything totally out of the eye of uh, other people. What's the issue? The issue is the heart. The Lord wants to know, hey, is that a, uh, the motivation in your heart, is that to be, was it done so that they could see that? Or was it done so that your father who sees these things will get the glory? There's the motivation. So when Jesus asks us to take heed regarding uh, this, and it, it's, it's recognizing it is our own personal responsibility to ensure, in as much as is possible with us, to ensure that our hearts in giving, praying, fasting to the Father, it's done for his eyes only. Notice again in verse 1, he, he takes up the issue of praying. Take heed that you do not do, or excuse me, giving, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Pretty straightforward there. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. And surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not, know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Jesus is clearly making a statement about giving, about doing good deeds to his disciples in contrast to what the hypocrites had done that day. In this statement, I mentioned it before, he's saying giving is not purchasing. What does that mean? Giving is not purchasing. What the religious specialists and the hypocrites were doing, they were giving in order to purchase recognition from their fellow man. 
So they were giving so that they could buy the attention, so to say, of everyone else. They were giving in such a way that everyone, they they were expecting everyone to give back to them. They were purchasing their attention. They purchased the praise and the uh, adoration of others. They, They were trying, they were giving to buy glory for themselves. And as we see in verse 2 in Christ's description, those attempting to purchase their own glory, they, they weren't real subtle about it either. They, 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 they would set this whole thing up. Just picture in your mind, I, I, you know, in my, my mind, it's a little, okay, my mind's a little different maybe, but I see this scenario on a typical street corner in Jerusalem where they're setting up a booth or something, and, and they're going to do a charitable deed. They're going to give. they got a bag of money that they're going to give to whatever need it is. And so they're on the street corner. That's not enough. They're drawing. The, the, they have their people out mustering the crowd together. That's not enough. They pull out the trumpets. That's exactly what they, they pull out the trumpets. And we're not talking about the cornets that we have today. We're talking about the big, long ones with the flute. And then... That's my best trumpet noise, sorry. That's, a be- that's as good as it gets. But they literally would have a trumpet blown when they did their charitable deed. Wow, look at me. Aren't I great? That's the whole sense of it. Don't, don't think, oh, don't try and play that down. That's exactly what's happening here. And Jesus is saying, do not be like them. Whether it's in the, and they did it not only in the streets, they do that in the synagogue. Could you imagine somebody doing that in church? Just standing up, a trump. Okay, this per, I'm putting my I'm putting my tithe in the bag. Where's my trumpet? Where's my backup? Where's my Where's my band? It's, it would be that ludicrous, and that's what's happening here. Now, we don't blow a trumpet today, do we? Or do we? We're much more subtle about it. And I say we as a whole. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but the, the, the trend today is it's much more subtle. It's much more refined. We don't blow a trumpet, but what we'll do is we'll get a piece of cardboard, three foot by six foot long, and we'll stand behind that piece of cardboard, and it'll say the amount of the check we just wrote out in this donation, right? As, yeah, have you seen that? The big, big boards with a number, the zeros all on the end? That's the sort of thing. You know, those are, I'm not taking away from, those are genuine. There's genuine good action. There. There's giving in that. But there's also something wrong with that person standing behind that going, look at me, you may as well blow a trumpet. Because in the same sense, that's what they're doing. They want the adoration and recognition from men. Jesus says that belongs to the Father only. It belongs to God only. In verse 3, Jesus teaches our attitude is to be much different than that sort of person who's determined to be recognized with the greatest of fanfare in their giving and good deeds. He says our attitude and our actions, therefore, in giving is, is to be done in such great delicacy as to ensure as much as possible in our power that we're not grabbing glory for ourselves. According to Jesus, there, there ought to be an intentional covertness to our giving. I like that word covert. Sounds cool, doesn't it? Covert. What does it mean to be covert? We're to be covert good deeds doers. We're to be covert givers, uh, undercover givers, if, if you will. I remember back in my former life in, in law enforcement uh, over in Stockton, one of the, one of the um, assignments I had was assigned with a crew and, and they would hunt guys who had, uh, they were federal fugitives. And the, you couldn't do that in all your uniform and stuff and try and look for. So that what they would do is they would call, classify you as being undercover. 
So you'd wear plain clothes and you'd have kind of a plain car or a truck or whatever. The whole idea was that so when someone looked on you, that they wouldn't see, oh, that's a police officer. He's going to go get somebody he's looking for, whatever it might be. And, and the same holds true here. We're undercover givers. When someone looks on you, upon you, they, they don't immediately recognize that you're doing a charitable deed. Again, it's not, it's not always possible to, to, to conceal that, but that's the heart of the issue. Jesus is calling us to be undercover givers. Covert means not openly shown. No, it's intentionally subtle. Uh, it's secretive even. We can give in an attitude of secret. Uh, when we give in an attitude of secrecy, we're seeking one audience only. We're making a statement. The other makes a, say, a statement. When you give for people to look at you, it makes a statement. Look at me. But when we do it in secret, it makes a statement to one person only, the Father. We're saying in our secrecy of giving, Lord God, my Father in heaven, I give this to you. I do this for you and you alone. However you might bless it, I want you to receive all the glory from it. Not me. I want everything to be directed toward you. And notice in verse 4, not only does he see, that is our Father, does he see that in secret, he rewards us as well. And he rewards us openly. You may be asking, how does the Father reward us openly for giving and doing good deeds in secret? How does he do it? Well, I believe that we're openly rewarded for secretive gifts and secretive good deeds from the Father. We're, we're rewarded with a life that's lived apart from the bondage of, of the love of money, the bondage of the need and the love of man's attention and man's praise and the pursuit of all of that. I believe that's a great reward to live a life like that. Giving secretively to the Father, it produces a freedom within us from a false sense of security that, that some people seek from this, this world and the things of this world. Further in this same sermon, if you look further in chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus, he starts to address this. He says in verse 19, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in the steel, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So even as he continues, Jesus addresses this, this sense of don't put your, your security in the things of this world. There's no security in it. Jesus also, another reward, giving as, as he is instructed, it produces a freedom from a, a possessive heart that will not allow money and things and the, uh, the time, the, the, the pulls of this world. It will not allow those to rule over you. Giving fights back against that. Giving defeats that sort of heart. I believe giving to the Father in secret also produces a freedom from concern for provision from the Father. Now, that's a great concern, is it? Giving and, and, uh, of our time and our talents and our treasure, that, that requires something of us. Something goes out from us as we do that. There's the thought, well, wow, if I do that, then I'm going to be lacking. Well, that's unbiblical thinking. Did you know that? That's not what the Bible says. And I think this is where so many of us as believers, we misunderstand and we miss the blessing which comes from giving back to the Lord. They, we just think that we're going to be without if we do that. We think that we'll never be able to make up that time. We think that we'll never have enough to, to pay this bill or that bill or whatever it is. That's, again, that's so unbiblical. 
Paul writes first to the Corinthians and then to the Philippians regarding this. He writes in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, for he who sows, but, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And then he wrote to the Philippians. You probably recognize this verse. We love this verse. Philippians 4.19, he said, And my God shall supply, shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What is he saying there? That when we give, when we do our good deeds, that God, he will take care of us. He will provide. We need not be concerned about what's going out from us. God's got that covered. He's going to take care of us. So if you're faithfully giving back to the Lord from that which he has blessed you, you will know the rewards in this life of the freedom of bondage to money and to other things that will pull at us. You'll know his great provision as well, and he'll take care of all your needs according to his riches. How rich is God? How much money? What does he own? According to his riches, he's going to take care of me. I don't have that great of need. I know that his riches can cover whatever I'm going to need ever in my life, my entire life. So Jesus teaches us this should be our attitude in giving and doing good deeds. He asks us what, what our motives are. Are they like what we saw, the hypocrites? We don't want to be like that. Giving should not be purchasing. And he commands us to take heed when we pray as well, because there was a horrible example going on at that time. He didn't want people to, he didn't want his disciples to be like that. Notice, beginning in verse 5, he's making another statement about true worship. The statement he makes, praying is not performing. Praying is not performing. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. I think they're at that same booth that they set up for giving. They're still there. Maybe the trumpet guy's there. I don't know. No trumpet mentioned here, but the idea is the same. They love to be on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, so in contrast, you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will do what again? He will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Did you notice the similarities in, in praying and to doing good deeds that Jesus uses regarding the hypocrites? Do you notice how they are a lot the same? The whole idea of them getting all the intention, them doing things and setting things up, even praying so that they get all the intention, always finding the most populated, the most religious crowd to demonstrate their depth of charity and spirituality, praying in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? for the sole purpose that they may be seen. Jesus, he's saying here that they have their reward. In other words, the Father in heaven, they don't, he's not hearing that prayer. He's not paying any attention. They're doing that so they get attention. You got your attention, that's it. He says, but you, that's you and I, his disciples, do not do that. He teaches us not to be like that, not to pray like that, or to be seen or be heard by men, particularly in verse 6. 
The Lord, he teaches the idea of praying in a secret place. And now we're back to that covert prayer. We're back to undercover prayer. Not openly, intentionally subtle. An undercover prayer warrior. Probably the most powerful person in your church today. Someone that you don't even have a clue, but in their house and in the privacy of their home. And for whatever reason, they're offering up prayers on your behalf and on the behalf of the things that are happening in your lives that you may not know about in this community, in this world. Powerful person. And believe me, the Father in heaven has, they have the Father in heaven's attention. He sees them praying in secret. Now, let me just say, Jesus is not praying and, uh, excuse me, not teaching against corporate prayer. I appreciate the way you, yeah, that was done this morning, how you had the list. I love lists. I, I do. I love them. Check them off. Check them done. List. He's not speaking and teaching against corporate prayer. As some have, some people have erroneously taught, interpreted, I, I don't know why. But Jesus prayed publicly, so he's not speaking of this. But there should be certainly times and a place where every believer, every son and daughter of the Father can go in and shut the door, so to say, be alone, wherever it is, a closet at work, whatever it might be, to be alone in a time of prayer. And, that, and, and why is that so great? Because no one sees it. You can almost assure that no one knows that you're offering prayer. No one's going to try and give you record. Oh, he's going in to pray. No, no, that sort of thing. No one sees it, but the Father, he sees it, and he will certainly reward you openly. There's that reward openly again. How does the Father reward us openly for praying in secret? Well, we're openly rewarded for a life of secretive prayer, first of all. This is a stretch. No, bear with me. Stay with me. Answered prayer. That was a tough one, huh? But sometimes we we forget that whole thing that that, that we pray and the reward is the God, God, our Father, He answers prayer. And that's that's amazing. That's beautiful. There's the God of the universe who created all things, you and I. He holds all things together by the the word of His power. And, And He's pretty busy taking care of all the things. But He hears your prayer in secret. And he answers that prayer. That's a, that's a great reward. How many people have been rewarded by prayer? Just praying for somebody else. And you see that happen. It's like, wow, is that not a beautiful reward? That, nothing comes to us on that. Nothing sticks to us. And we don't want it to. We simply want, uh, we simply want the Father to bless someone else. That's a huge reward. Can't take that away from nothing compared to getting man's attention for prayer. That's, that's, that tops it. It so outdoes it. But Jesus, another benefit, how we're rewarded is, is that the, the disciple, excuse me, the discipline and the training that, that prayer brings into our life. If you've done that, it does. It brings a sense of discipline. Like, okay, I, I just, I need to work these things out. I need the time to pray. We've got to work at that because everything in this world say, don't, don't stop and pray. Who's that? Who's saying that? Your enemy, don't stop and pray. Don't take time. This thing is really heavy upon you, but don't stop and pray. Just keep going. You know, just don't, or, or you'll think about it and then, oh, I'll get to that later. No, there, there's a discipline that comes when we determine in our hearts to stop and pray and to go into that secret place. There's also the fact that in our secretive prayer, God becomes more and more of a father to us as he should be. That's a wonderful reward. That's a huge benefit. I have no uh, earthly father at this time. My biological father and stepfather have both gone on. 
uh, from they no longer live today. They, they've died. Uh, and so I appreciate this more and more about my Father in heaven, the fact that I can speak to him and that he is so much becoming more and more of a father too. And maybe you've had a negative father example or no father at all in your life. Know that, that there's, there's a great reward in coming to your father in secretive and just praying to him, laying out your heart before him. It's a huge blessing. It's a tremendous reward. Jesus warns us that we should take great care and caution that our prayer is not a performance for others, though. It should not be like the religious specialists of his day who demand an audience when they pray. And, uh, you know, we can do it. Again, we don't have the trumpet. We don't go in the synagogues, so to say, or on the street corners to pray. But uh, it, it can be done subtly. There's, there was a, a gentleman I knew, God bless him. I know he loves the Lord and those sort of things. But it was in a former fellowship years back, so you're never going to guess who it is. Don't even try to. But he felt the need to pray. Every time he prayed, he, he'd become King James. He spoke in King James. So nothing wrong with King James, but it, it, just, it was so unnatural because he never spoke like that. And I'm not saying that, that this, that's what he was doing was trying to draw attention, but it did cause me to draw my attention to him. Sometimes we, we, we don't need to do that. We just need to be who we are. We want to take great care that we're not causing someone to look at us in that sort of sense. It's in our prayer, another warning Jesus gives us in verse 7, it shouldn't be like the heathen in Christ's day. He talks about the hypocrites. Now he talks about the heathen as well. What were the heathen doing? Well, they were just had these vain repetitions. They would just go on and on and on and on saying the same things over and over and over. And again, I think in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, again, this is my opinion, I think these were the positive confession folks of Jesus' day. I gotta have a chariot. 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 I'm not sick. 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 That sort of thing. And Jesus said, that's vain. I will be rich. I will be rich. I will be rich. That works in any century, doesn't it? Well, the chariot thing doesn't. It's Mercedes. I gotta have a Mercedes. I gotta have a. No. You get the idea. It's, It's vain repetition. Jesus says, that's not proper prayer. Don't do that. Do not do that. He says it. I love the way he puts it in verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. The idea is don't be anything like them. They're displaying an evidence, these, the vain repetition that there's, they have no clue who might be hearing them. The whole idea is if I say it over and over again, some, it's going to stick somewhere, right? It's, it's some, someone's got to hear it. No. Their motivation is just, just you know, I, if I say it enough, I'll believe it. It must be true. No. On the other hand, those of us who love and follow Jesus... Our Heavenly Father, He knows what we need before we even speak it. Isn't that amazing? He knows. That doesn't doesn't prevent us from Him wanting to speak it. He wants us to say it. He wants us to pray. Clearly, Jesus says, go into your closet and pray. But just note the beauty of that, the contrast. Vain repetition, they don't have a clue who's hearing or if anyone's hearing. Our Father in heaven, when we pray to Him in secret, He knows what we're going to say, even before he says it. It's a beautiful aspect of prayer to realize that he knows exactly what is needed. He knows exactly what our situation is. He knows exactly where our heart is before we even utter a word. If we pray as Jesus has given us pattern in the next verses, we can know the Father. He's already hearing and he's already completely aware of what we need. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer, which 
used as a guide for our own personal prayer. Sometimes we think, well, I don't know how to pray. Jesus says, here's a guide. Here's a template, so to say. We like templates. And in in keeping to this template with the right heart attitude and the right motive, we can be sure that we have the Father's ear. We have his attention. We have his provision as well. And he he already knows what we're going to ask for. This pattern of prayer from Jesus, it's very familiar to us, as it should be. Our prayer in secret, it should begin as we see, it should begin with recognition that we're his son or his daughter, our Father who art in heaven. It should continue along the lines of worship and, and adoration of our Heavenly Father. Further, our prayer, it will move into recog- uh, the recognition of that His will is sovereign and that we desire His will just like it is in heaven. We desire it on earth. We desire it in our own hearts, in our own lives. And our prayer then, it moves into asking our Father for what, again, what He knows we already need. That is our, our daily provision. We're asking Him for forgiveness We're asking him to to lead us away from temptation, and we're asking him for deliverance in that pattern for prayer as well. And then our our pattern prayer, it closes with worship and declaring all glory to our Father. It's a good thing to be reminded of that, that all glory goes to him. And this is our prayer guide that Jesus has supplied for us to pray in secret. Now, in the following verses in this context of this, of this uh, text today, to this pattern of, of being secretive, particularly in prayer and, and giving and in and fasting. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus, he identifies an important dynamic of exclusion about forgiveness. And there's a reason he does it. You may think, well, why is verse 14 and 15? Why is that in there? It doesn't really, doesn't seem like it really fits, but it does. He says here that we must forgive others their trespasses against us so that uh, our Father in heaven will forgive us our trespasses against him. And that if we don't, then he will not, our Father in heaven will not forgive our trespasses. Now, it seemed, again, it seems like that's out of place, but taken in context of this sermon, apparently it was common for the hypocrites of the day to be very religious in their giving, in their charitable deeds, to be very religious in their praying and their, their fasting, but not at all forgiving when someone had trespassed against them. It was hypocritical. And again, Jesus is saying is, do not be like them. So the whole sense of their hypocrisy shows forth in them not being willing to forgive someone who's trespassed against them. We don't want to be like that. We want, to, we, want, we want to make sure that we're right before the Lord. We want to make sure that what we're doing is good in His eyes. When someone trespasses against us, we certainly want to forgive them as well. Because we want to be forgiven. Now, when our motivation in worship to God, it, it is pure. When it is true, then our giving is not purchasing. Our praying is not performing. And finally, as we see in verse 16, our fasting is not posturing. Fasting is not posturing. We see there... Uh, what's happening when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a, a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in, again, the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Fasting is not posturing. I think fasting probably is the greatest form of worship that is neglected by the disciples of the Lord today. 
it's one of those things like, okay, we know something about fasting, but we don't really engage in it. It's interesting that Jesus included it in the three, giving, praying, and fasting. It's, it's, it's as if he intentionally did that so that they have the same degree of importance. Absolutely, he did. It's neglected by us, but basically fasting, what is fasting? Well, it's an intentional deprivation of something or someone for a time, replacing whatever that is or whoever that was uh, to be set aside with a focus and an intense worship on the Lord. It's, it's done for a time. You can fast, obviously, most commonly from food. You can not eat food for a day, just desiring to seek the Lord, to, to, to have some clarity. The Lord speak. You can, you can fast from your iPhone. That's a big one, isn't it? Now, you're asking a lot. Now, what do you mean, put my iPhone away for a day? Yeah, just like that. You can fast from your iPhone. You can fast from TVs and movies. You can fast from an activity. Just make sure you keep it to yourself. Don't put on your fast face. Someone walks up to you and says, oh, what's wrong? Well, I'm fasting from my iPhone. And it, it really hurts. Can you tell? You get that pain look on your face. What the hypocrites were doing that day, literally, historians report that they, when they were fasting from food, particularly, is that they would, they would apply makeup, like a white makeup with a dark around the eyes, and then they would, they would assume a posture like this. I'm fasting today. You know, the, the, <laughs> so they're putting on a show again. And that's, I mean, it seems ludicrous, but no less ludicrous than blowing a trumpet when you did good, or standing on the street corner when you're praying, that's exactly what's happened. Jesus says, do not do that. Do not be like that. And if you fast so that someone will know, that's your entire reward. That's it. You've gone hungry for a day just so someone thinks that, wow, he went hungry for a day. (laughs) That was pointless, right? However, if you fast for the Father in secret, he will see in secret and reward you openly. Okay, how does the Father reward us openly for fasting? Well, there's a great reward in fasting from whatever it is. There's a great great reward in humility. It brings humility. Fasting brings clarity as well, as I mentioned. Just a time just to get away from whatever might draw your attention. I think some, well, I think a lot of times... God the Father, he's trying to communicate something to us by counsel, by prayer, through his word. But we're so caught up with the things that pull at our attention, we just can't hear it. So a fast from whatever those things are can really give us clarity to the voice of God. I want to hear from my Father, don't you? Certainly you do. Fasting brings growth in your walk with the Lord. And fasting brings freedom as well. I love a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, regarding this. The Lord speaking through his prophet. Is, is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning." Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Fasting can bring the voice of God the Father into your heart, into your life, through many different ways. 
Well, you may have noticed as we've gone through these three huge issues in our lives as disciples, you may have noticed that there's an expectation of Jesus towards you and I regarding these life issues that should mark our lives, giving, praying, fasting. In each instance, when he addressed these acts of worship, he did so with the assumption that, in fact, we would be doing these things. He said in verse 2, when you do a charitable deed, not if, he said when. In verses 5, 6, and 7, he says when you pray, when you fast, in verse 16. Just because the religion of the day had taken these things for themselves and, and they, they twisted them and used them for their own glory and to build themselves up, just because they did that, it does not eliminate these things as being genuine good acts of worship to God. We should be doing them. Jesus expects that of us. That's just not some pastor telling you, you ought to give, you ought to pray, you ought to fast. No, this is coming straight from Jesus. He says, when you do these things, and, and check your motivation. That's what he's saying. What's our, what's our heart? But, and don't get sidetracked by all these other things and other people, whatever they're doing. Don't stop giving. Don't stop praying. Don't stop fasting simply because somebody else is doing it for their own glory. Make sure God gets the glory. We have that in our control. Jesus says that. There's an inference there in teaching us things that we have within our ability to control who gets the glory in our giving, in our praying, and in our fasting. So we want to make sure he gets the glory. He's our perfect example. He himself did not seek the glory and the praise of men as he moved about this earth as a man, fully God, fully human. He didn't seek the praise. If anyone could have sought attention and glory and praise, it surely would have been Jesus. And no one did or could do what he did on this earth. He had every right, so to say, to get all the attention. He literally could have had his name splashed on every newspaper heading, every magazine, every Twitter account, whatever it was, every Facebook. He would have been there. But Jesus, in his, he, 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 gave, he didn't do that. He gave expecting nothing in return. He prayed in secret. We often saw him break away, even from his closest disciples. He fasted without posturing. During the majority of his ministry, he pushed back against those who wanted to give him the glory, who tried to give him the glory. He pushed back against that. He said, and he said don't do that right now. Those who were healed, they, they wanted to worship him and glorify him. They wanted to shout out that he's the son of God. He pushed back against that. He silenced demons who would declare his identity, causing those to, uh, around to, to, to know who he was. It was not until his transfiguration where he, he showed a little bit of his glory, just to a few, just a quick glimpse on that mountain. And it was not until his triumphal entry that Jesus allowed man to acknowledge him and give him glory, the glory that he was due. It was not uh, until just before his death and his resurrection that he himself, he asked the Father to, to glorify him as he had been glorified before. The glory that he knew in heaven, the glory that he deserved as the Son of God. I want to read that, just that passage from John chapter 17, when it speaks, Jesus, again, being our example, didn't touch any of the Father's glory until it was time. John 17, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may, be, son may glorify you. 
And as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus, he, he didn't touch the glory when he was on the earth for the most part. He waited until the time where it was due him. And the glorification for what he did for you and I on the cross was certainly due him. He was glorified. Glorified in his death. Glorified in his burial. Glorified in his resurrection. He was glorified as he ascended to the right hand of the Father where right now he sets interceding for you and I. He alone is worthy to receive the glory and the honor. So remember, we his disciples on earth, there's nothing in us worthy receiving any, any glory for what we do in our pursuit to worship him. Genuine giving is not purchasing. Genuine praying is, is not performing. Genuine fasting is not posturing. We have a, an opportunity now to continue our worship in a most intimate way as we remember the Lord's death. Let's pray as we prepare now to receive communion. Lord, we thank you for your words from this passage. We thank you for the clear instruction that we see there, how you just lay it right out there for us. And you teach us not to be those things, not to be like that. Lord, we we appreciate the way that you are truly concerned with how we represent you in this world. And we want to be right in line with what you say here. We want to be your men and women, sons and daughters of the the Most High God, our Father in heaven, who represent you properly with a motivation that springs forth from a heart surrendered to you, a heart full of worship, a heart of gratitude, a heart of joy as well, speaking your truth, praying the way you would have us pray, doing things uh, the way you would have them done, fasting in, in the times that you would have us abstain from something. Lord, we pray that we would be, uh, we would be uh, well-pleasing in your eyes in these things, that they would mark our lives as your disciples, as your men and women who love you and desire to seek after you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your restraint upon this earth as well. We thank you that ultimately you, have, you were and you have been glorified. And we want to remember that now. And it was in your death. And it was in your sacrifice. Taking the sins of all time upon you so that we may know you. So that we may know our eternal life. And that it comes through you. That we may know our creator, our Father God in heaven. And so, Lord, we prepare our hearts now to receive these elements which represent your body broken for us, and your blood spilled out for us. We prepare our hearts and examine them to see if there be anything which would interfere with a sweet communion with you now. This is personal, Lord. Even if in this room we, we go into a secret place in, our, in ourselves and we desire to commune with you right now in this time, remembering your death until you come, in obedience to you because we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.